If any indication of the closet, she gets three quarters, I get a quarter. I'll be out here, but nonetheless, we really felt moved by the Lord to share something that uh, was on our heart and uh, something that we feel there's a great need for in the church. And uh, because we're, we see it happening, that, that the marriages in the church are becoming, I'll just use the word, as bad as the marriages in the world. And as James said about the word of God, the things that we do in our life, um, those contradictions to the word of God, those things ought not to be so. And we're here to share something with you that we, again, uh, we don't know where it's going to go this morning. We have, a, we have an outline here so that we don't get off, but we're just praying that the Holy Spirit will say, what he wants to say this morning. We're not here to tell you how horrible marriage is, because maybe some of you know that. We're here to tell you how wonderful the grace of God is. That is what this is about this morning. We don't take glory in what we're going to share. Um, we do take a joy and an, and an honor and just are blessed with what God has done. And it's not out of anybody's reach. What has happened with Kathy and I is available to you. But you know what? It takes a willingness and it takes a desire to do so. Mary, many marriages are getting married for better and for, for, for worse. But you know what? They're not getting married for good. The first time, there's difficulty or impasses that seems to dissolve. There's no magic in marriage, folks. There's no marriage. No, no magic. It doesn't, it's not a matter of right chemistry or, or we enjoy the same things. It's a matter of commitment. It's a matter of saying yes or no to the things that God commands you in your marriage. And if your marriage is, isn't what you want it to be, it's because you've chosen it not to be. Me, either one of you or both of you. When Kathy and I met, uh, it was prior to 1973. She was 16. I was 25. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was a little girl. Cradle robber, all the names. I've heard them all. <laughs> We were at Chino Hills uh, Friday night sharing our testimony, and they had a game, and one of them was, the guy was supposed to answer, what kind of car was your wife driving when you met? Hers was a bicycle, you know. But <laughs> I thought, well, we would have, you know. But anyway, yeah, I was every parent's nightmare in their daughter's life. Uh, alcohol, drugs, you name it. Um, it was their abuse. Um, all the wrong things, but nonetheless... Uh, God had a plan as we look back and see. In 1973, Kathy and I got married. Or I should say, we came to the Lord first. And about two months later, we got married. And like a lot of young couples, we were excited about our new relationship with the Lord. We were excited with our new relationship with each other. And during this time, we were going to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, to the Saturday night concerts. Um, we, were going, we did this for approximately a year and a half. Again, just excited about our new walk with God. And, and our, we were you know young married couple. And... But a little while after that, we started getting tired of the hassle of going to, from Covina to Costa Mesa. And if any of you that were going there at that time, you know, there was, it was crowded, there was parking, was a mess, and we started going into this main sanctuary once that got built. And it just got real, I guess, real tiresome. And so we stopped going as often as we were. During this time, we bought a house. We wanted to stay closer to home. And so we ended up church hopping. Danger number one. Find a good church that teaches the word of God and stay there unless God has called you out of it. So as a result of the church hopping, our spiritual growth became stunted. And I became a couch potato. My spiritual desire, my spiritual zeal started to go down the two. Men, warning number two. And especially to you men. If you desire to stay home and watch TV and just lay around while your wife goes to church alone... Let me tell you what, it's not going to last long. As a husband, our spiritual uh, obligation is to make sure we are feeding our family, our wives, the word of God, developing their talents and their gifts and ensuring that they are being spiritually fed. When she has to get up and get the kids ready by herself and you've decided not to go just because you're, you're too tired or you're whatever the reason might be, let me tell you. It's not going to last very long. 
Joe and I were alone at the time. We didn't have any children, and so it was just he and I. And we weren't fellowshipping, as he said, because we weren't really hanging out with any of our Christian friends. And we weren't reading our Bibles together. We weren't praying together. We weren't doing any of the things that a young couple in Christ should be doing together. And so it was just like Samson. We were destined for a fall because we didn't have our eyes on the Lord. And we stopped literally looking at the Lord and started looking at one another. And as I was looking at Joe... Uh, a lot of that old character, that old nature that was in him before we were married, the, the meanness, the uh, rude and you know, horrible things he would say to me, he would start saying them again. And, and he was a real jealous boyfriend, and now the jealousy was coming back. And he was really moody all the time. I'd come home from work, and I didn't know what to expect. Would I find him in a happy mood, a loving husband mood, or would he be you know, just ignoring me and uh, mean towards me and... And so I didn't know. It was always kind of a gamble what was going to happen when I came home. And uh, Friday night we heard a message, and one of the things he had shared was that when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, they both recognized that they were naked. And when you take your eyes off the Lord and you're not doing the things God commands you to do, pretty soon you see the ugliness in, in each other's sin. And that's what had happened. I started to see the ugliness in Joe's sin, and I realized that really there wasn't much of a change. He wasn't drinking, he wasn't doing the drugs anymore, he wasn't pushing me around anymore, but he was still ugly inside. I had changed outwardly, but not inwardly, and I think that's a lot of uh, mistakes that Christians maybe don't recognize. See, God had delivered me from the alcohol and the drugs, but you know what? The one thing that he hadn't delivered me from, and it wasn't because he didn't have the power, it was self. And you see, my mean, moody, insensitive self was still there. I gave up all the outward things, but you need to understand the one thing that Jesus intended you to give up when you came to Christ was self. So when things didn't go my way, when she wouldn't submit, when she wouldn't follow my plan, my, my, my thoughts of what should be going on, uh, I would become very mature. I'd go back to the old nature. I'd withdraw. I'd become silent. Uh, very immature uh, behavior, totally contradictory to the Christian. Uh, so the way I dealt with it, I just would give Kathy the silent treatment. I wouldn't talk to her for days. When you, we had learned how to look for Christ in the second coming, but we never learned how to live for Christ. And the, so the silent treatment that Joe was giving me, I didn't really understand. And all I did, uh, it, it just made me angry. It made me really bitter towards him. And every time I would try to talk to him and let him know how I was feeling, that, you know, hey, talk to me here because, you know, I'm losing it. You know, that loving feeling. And um, when I would try to talk with him, he would just get really angry. And um, we'd end up fighting. And, you know, I tried to get him to go to counseling, but he just refused to go. He didn't want anyone to know we had issues in our marriage. And so after a while, I just really gave up. I just stopped really caring about him, stopped really caring about you know, what was going to happen with our marriage. Although I knew I needed to stay there, I didn't really care. And so I really was emotionally divorced from him. We just kind of came in and went out and did our thing in our house, and that was it. I didn't love him anymore, and there were times that I literally hated him, and I couldn't even stand to be in the same room with him. And so, you know, with all of that, our intimate life got even worse, and no touching, no talking, no anything. And so, you know, he became even meaner because of that. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that when you deny yourselves the time together, that intimate time, that the, the devil will come in and he will tempt you. Well, we were definitely not obeying the command about intimacy, and we were not praying together, and we were not fasting, as that same scripture talks about. And so things did get worse. And uh, during that time, Joe was taking a kung fu class with Pastor Raul Reese. And, you know, Raul and Joe were really close friends. And so Raul had encouraged me to take some classes also. And so I started taking the class... Uh, with Joe, and just about two weeks into taking the class, an old high school boyfriend of mine started taking the class also. And because he was a new student and uh, I was, we were the newest students in the class, Rob put us together to work out. And at first, you know, it didn't seem like a big deal, but when a woman is not being loved and talked to and touched and things like that, uh, even as crazy as it sounds, getting touched and thrown down <laughs> was good, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> but, but as, you know, he would throw me down in the exercises of Kung Fu, then he would have to pick me up. And each time he would pick me up, we would laugh. And, and you know, we started getting this rapport with one another as we were throwing each other around the room. And uh, then, you know, we would have to sit down in the corner and, and uh, wait for the next, you know, maybe we'd watch green belts and yellow belts and so on. 
And uh, we started talking and just kind of communicating. And then he had mentioned that he still had feelings for me. And, you know, that's like the last thing you want to hear from somebody that used to be your old boyfriend. And um, before you knew it, one thing led to another. And we started calling each other secretly in the mornings. And then eventually we started meeting each other secretly. And he was a Christian also. We were both going to Rawls Church. And this was a very young church. We were in a home. And it was, um, you know, a very small thing. And, but we both knew that it was wrong. We both would always say we shouldn't be here, we shouldn't be talking, and, but yet you ignored that. And we ignored the Holy Spirit. And uh, finally, though, we decided, you know, enough. We, we can't do this. I couldn't live with the, the guilt of it anymore. And so we agreed that that was it. Um, the sin of adultery is a self-centered sin. It doesn't care about others. And Kay Arthur said that sin will make you go farther than you ever wanted to go. It will make you stay longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will make you spend more than you ever wanted to spend. Well, I had spent my friendship because in his wife was my best friend. And I had spent my friendship. And I had spent Joe's heart. And I had spent my reputation. I had spent my testimony. I had spent many nights laying in bed wondering if um, we would get busted or if somehow somebody would see us or something would happen. And... So my worst fear happened. In Daniel 2.22, it says, God reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. And so that very night that I had, uh, we had said we were breaking it off and so on, uh, this guy ended up going home, and he told his wife. And so I don't know how it all came down like that, but he did. And then she called a friend of ours who was going to call Joe. And so in the morning, uh, this guy had called me to let me know that that was going to happen, and he was giving me a heads up. It's out. It's out in the open. And so I was afraid, I thought, because Joe's old nature was that he was a violent boyfriend, and, I, and that old nature was coming back in our home, and so I was really afraid that he would get abusive physically with me. And so I figured, well, Raul's a black belt. I'll call him. <laughs> he can handle him. <laughs> Going, just real quick, as she was sharing about this old boyfriend, and again, that contact that they were having, guys, that's another warning. Notice what she was saying. If you're not having that contact with your wife, communicating, physical, those affectionate words, let me tell you something. There's somebody out there who's going to fulfill your role. There's somebody out there that's going to be everything that you're not. And you know what, guys? There's one thing that we are being deceived by. It'll never happen to me. Because I'm a Christian. She wouldn't do that. She loves me. Hey, there's a line. And when that line's crossed, her, it's first her, her thoughts. Her thoughts go. Her thoughts aren't there. The next thing to follow is her body. It will follow next. So don't take that, that route where, you know, it'll never happen to me. She wouldn't dare. Hey, it's just waiting to happen. Because that guy will be everything that you're not. And guess what? Satan knows the opportunity. So she calls Wall to come and uh, take care of business. So... That day I go home, it was like any other day. I pull up to my house and I get ready to park and I notice Rawl parked in my front yard. Now, Rawl's not normally in my front yard when I come home after work. So I'm thinking, well, what a nice visit. So I get out of my car and I go up there. Rawl gets out of his. He says, hey, Joe, what's going on? Oh, no, I said, Rawl, first I said, hey, what's going on? How, what are you doing here? And he goes, well, he says, uh, I came because I, I need to talk to you for a minute. Can I talk to you? I said, sure, let's, let's go into the house. He goes, well, can we talk here for a minute first? I said, sure. I said, what's up? He goes, well, Kathy called me, and she talked with me and wanted me to come over and, you know, to, to, to be here. Uh, she's inside. Uh, she called, and she didn't go to work today. She's inside, um, and she's crying, and um, she wanted me to be here because she wanted me to tell you that she had been seeing somebody else. And she was afraid of what you might do if there was nobody here. She had been seeing this old boyfriend for about a month and just uh, wanted to make things right. Well, to say the least, I was stunned because it could never happen to me. You know, she loves me too much and, and all the stuff that she went through when we were young and, you know, before we were Christians. But um, I was stunned, to say the least. So anyway, we went in the house. There was Kathy and she was inside. She was crying. She was repentant over what had happened. She told me she was sorry and, and wanted to work things out and... 
Naturally, I said, okay. And uh, Raul prayed with us, and he was there for a while, talked with us, and we talked, and we agreed that we'd work things through. But from that day on, things between Kathy and I went downhill. There were many factors involving this deterioration between Kathy and I, but they were brought about because of the way I dealt with the situation. Obviously hurt, embarrassed, angry, bitter, all the things that you can imagine. The more I thought about what was done, the more I withdrew. I became very cold, very, very distant. And even though Kathy was repentant and wanted to make things work, I would accuse her of many things she hadn't done. And it, from that day forward, it was just she was under interrogation. It was miserable, a miserable life for her. No matter what she said or what she tried to do to prove that she was sincere, it was not good enough for me. So really, I had, I had not really forgiven her. I said I did, but I really hadn't, obviously. So for a while, Kathy suffered through this kind of a relationship with me. But again, after several years, she gave up. As I said, her mind had left the relationship, and she followed her thoughts after that. She couldn't take it anymore. And what I had ended up doing was really doing the very thing that I didn't want to happen. I drove her away because of the way I chose to deal with this. Now, um, at that time, I wanted to go to counseling. She had been trying to go to counseling before that. She had been asking to go, and I said, no. You know why? You got the problem. You know what? This is a typical thing when I have couples come in, or just the wife. He's got, she, he didn't want to come in because he says, I've got the problem. And he said, if you would just do what I want you to do, everything would be fine. You're the problem. And I wouldn't go to counseling. Now, when she walked out, honey, um, could we go see a counselor? It's too late then. You see, it was, it, was, it was too late. And you know what, guys? We're tough. Hey, go ahead. Walk out. I dare you. Get a divorce. But you know how many men I see come crying, begging, they're not tough when their wife walks out. But you know what? Again, it'll never happen to me. But I've seen some of the biggest men coming in, willing to give all, give their right arm, if they'll come back. Don't wait to that point, guys. Don't wait to that point. I pray the day is a wake-up call. You know the symptoms. They're, they're with you if, they, if you're going through that. And so uh, at that point, uh, she didn't want counseling. So I went away on a business trip, and when I came back, she had packed up her things and gone. At first, I felt sort of a relief, a peace. And I've heard this many times. You know what? I am such, so at peace right now, being separated, and, I, and I'm thinking this is God's will. Well, sure, you're at peace. The tension's gone. You're not having to work anything out. You see, that's, that's the whole thing. You need to be together to work things out. And when you have peace, and you talk about the peace of God, people think, well, it must be the Lord because I have peace. Well, it's a false peace, guys. It's a false peace, ladies, because Genesis 2 tells you it's not good for man to be alone. So it's a false sense of peace. It's not God's design. The peace is only there because the tension is gone. The relief of that, peace, of that pressure and that tension is gone. So again, it is not natural. So the bottom line is, is don't separate. Don't separate. Unless it's physical abuse, unless it's, harm, uh, it's harmful to your health or there's something illegal going on, you see, you don't war, win a war by separating. It's a lie of the devil, and he wants you to do it. And the easiest thing that happens is that you go out, you get involved, and now you've got more baggage to bring into the relationship when God wants to heal it. Separation really doesn't help you to get your mind together. Oh, I need to get my thoughts together. You know what the right thing is. What Satan tells you you need to separate gives you that opportunity to go out and then he brings those other people into your life or gets you in situations that you wish hadn't happened. So as I went out, I began to, as Kathy and I, left, and when she left, I went out and I began to visit some old friends, the things that we typically, typically do when we separate. We say we won't, but we go visit old friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and start running around with the old crowd and doing the things that we used to do. But you know what? It got to be a drag because Jesus had really changed my life. So for about the first three months, I did okay. But then the Lord began to really speak to my heart. He began to, to move me to make a decision. He said, what are you going to do, Joe? You can't do this. You can't go on like this indefinitely. He says, and this is to each one of us, he says, you are a Christian or you are not. There is no such thing as in between. There is no such thing as separating your Christianity from your marriage. That's a total contradiction because, see, marriage is a covenant between three people, you, your spouse, and God. 
It isn't an agreement between two. It is a covenant. And where God is not present, guess what? It's just a matter of time before it goes down the tube. So God was moving me to make a decision. So I began to pray and ask the Lord to help me. And so I went back to church as hard as that was. I began to read as much as I didn't feel like reading and want to read. I began to pray and ask people to pray for me as much as I didn't want to because my natural instinct is, you know, I'm proud and I don't want people to know. And Hey, pray for me. My wife is gone and I'm struggling. But we did that. Going back just a little, when um, that morning that Joe had gone to the business trip, I, had, I was awake when he was getting ready in the morning. I can hear, you know, a little extra movement going on, didn't know what was going on, and I pretended to be asleep because any kind of confrontation with Joe was always a battle. And so I didn't want him to even know I was awake. And so I kind of laid there covered up in the blankets, and then pretty soon I heard the front door slam, and he was gone. So then I got up, and I went in the bathroom to brush my teeth, and there's no toothpaste. And then I realized his shaver's gone, and um, things were missing. And I... I went and I sat on the bed and I, you know, my heart's already pumping away and I was getting really angry and I thought, well, where did he go and, you know, what's going on? And I thought maybe he left me, and which I was kind of hoping that's what it was. But then I remembered about two months earlier he mentioned he was going to be going away on a business trip. And then it, I really got mad because I realized it's been two months since we've talked, you know, and that's the pattern that we were going through. We'd go a month without talking, uh, two months without talking. You know, we would just like say things here and there. A lot of times I'd come home and from work prepare a dinner. He'd come in and um, change and then I'd hear the door slam and he's gone. And that was his way of saying he doesn't want nothing to do with my meal. He doesn't want nothing to do with me. And so, you know, I would just getting so frustrated and I was just so angry and I just said, that's it. I've had it. I cannot be a prisoner in this house anymore, Lord. I can't do it. And so I called my sister and I let her know, you know, she already knew kind of what was going on from, you know, way five years earlier when we had the adultery situation, because that was way in our past by this time, but not in his past. It was still in, in his heart and his mind. And so she said, sure, come on over. And, you know, she wasn't a believer. So usually when you go to non-believers with your troubles, they really make it easy for you to, to go further into your sin and farther away from the Lord. And so I did. I went there for a while and uh, before you know it, I, I just started really backsliding. I went really far back into backsliding. And the Spirit was there, but I was ignoring the Holy Spirit many times when the Lord would say, you know, why are you drinking again? Why are you smoking again? Why are you doing pot again? And those are some of the things that I started tasting here and there. And uh, this one particular night, after about seven months of being separated from Joe, a friend of mine, this dear friend who I had betrayed, uh, her marriage did finally fall apart, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of what happened to her through the consequences of me um, led them down that road, and other, they couldn't reconcile, and they ended up divorcing. But she and I ended up reconciling as friends, believe it or not, and um, she would call me every now and then and invite me to go out clubbing with her. And so this one night, she invited me to go out to a really posh nightclub out in Newport Beach, and I thought, that's it. That's where I'm going to meet the right guy. That's where I'm going to go. And find that person that's going to take me away from everything. And I don't have to worry about going back. Because now I'll have a reason to not go back. I'll have a reason to stay out here. And maybe then I can get things right with God, but not with him. And um, so while I, I you know, got all dressed up for this club and you know, wanted to look my best, thinking, hey, this is where it's going to happen. And so I get there. And it's late. You, know, you go out clubbing late. You don't go at 8 o'clock. You go at like 10, 11 o'clock. So we're there, and my girlfriend, she was really into the disco thing, and you know, I was you know, a Christian before, so I didn't know any of that stuff, but she was out there dancing, and I was um, kind of standing alone and you know, waiting for that right person to come up to me, and, and the Lord just didn't allow it. <laughs> and as I was standing there, <laughs> as I was standing there, it was like the Lord just started shining this light on, in that dark club on these different people at the bar and and around the room, and, you know, he said, see that guy right there? He's a loser. <laughs> see that guy over there? He's more lonely than you are. See that guy over there? You know, he's, he's a hopeless cause, you know. And the women looked lonely, and, and just everything looked so ugly. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, you know, I want to see that. I want to see something good here. And then the Lord just said, I heard his voice so clear in this nightclub. And he said, Kathy, why are you back here? I took you out of this. Why are you back? Because that's what was my life before Christ. And 
I knew that I had to get out of there at that moment. It was about 2 in the morning, and so I went and found my girlfriend, and I told her that I didn't feel well, and so I was going to go wait for her in the car. And I drove us there, so yeah, she, I was at her mercy. <laughs> so I went out to the car, and I uh, put down the seat, locked the, the windows and the doors, and I tried to hide in there because, you know, different people were out in the parking lot and stuff. And, and I laid there, and, you know, remember when Peter denied Christ in his life, it says that he wept bitterly. Well, that's exactly what I did. I laid there, and I just wept, and I just cried, and I, and I begged God to just forgive me. And I realized right then and there that all the time I was out there, Jesus was with me. He was everywhere I went. I took him to that club. I took him to the places where I was drinking again and smoking pot and things like that again. And, um, but he said, but I still love you. And, I, and he was wanting to reconcile with me. And so once she came out about four in the morning, I took her home. And then I went home. And I just laid on the floor. I, I went prostrate on the floor before the Lord. And I just cried. And I cried to the Lord. And um, then I got up and I pulled out my dusty Bible, which I hadn't read in a long time. And you know how you always hear about Christians when, like, they open up the Word and they go, oh, and there it is, and it's the perfect Word. Well, that had never happened to me. I'd never just, like, open it up, and there is it, you know, Lord speaking to me plain and clear. But this morning, or it was early in the morning when I opened the Bible, he turned me to Hebrews 6, 3 through 6. And Paul had been telling the Christians that they needed to be careful. They needed to be watch out. Because when you get back into the old life, it gets almost impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves, for themselves this time, the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And there wasn't a lot that I understood about the scriptures, but that just sprung out at me and said, you're crucifying the Lord for yourself this time. You're the one that brought him to an open shame, you know, because I had this testimony as a new believer, like, oh, the Lord could do this, the Lord could do that, but he surely couldn't save my marriage, and he couldn't change my heart. And I was putting him to an open shame, and then I, I cried, and I thought, but Lord, your word also says that there's nothing impossible for you. And so I said, Lord, please just give me another chance, Lord. Give me another chance, and I promise I'll do things right. So the next, well, later on that morning, the phone rings. It was Joe, and he was calling to see if I was going to be home that morning because he wanted to bring me half the mortgage. I was living in our house by herself. He had moved out. And um, so I said, sure, come over. And as he was on his way over, I was thinking, okay, God, this is how I'm going to start doing things right. When he comes, I'm going to ask him if he'll take me back, if we could start over. So he came in, and I asked him, you know, to come in and sit down so we can talk. And I said, Joe, um, do you want to get back together again? And he says, well, yeah, but I have some stuff. You know, he had the stuff from his backsliding time also. I said, well, do you want to get back together? And I, believe me, these were not words I wanted to ask. I was just doing it because the Lord wanted me to. And he said, yeah, he did. And so I said, okay, well, I still don't love you. I don't want to be married to you. <laughs> And I don't want to be married to you, but I want to do what God wants me to do. And then I looked at him in his face and I said, you don't say a word to me and I won't say a word to you. You concentrate on your relationship with Jesus and I'll concentrate on my relationship with Jesus. And if that doesn't work, then it's over. I thought, man, this is really motivating. <laughs> I said, this is what we have already, you know. I'm not going to talk to you. You don't talk to me. I don't want to be... I'm thinking... What's new? You know, I thought, this is a real motivator. I thought for sure she'd grab me by my hands, look into my eye, I love you, honey, I miss you, and I want... No, man, total opposite. So I, I'm blown away. And, um, but nonetheless, that's, I said, okay, that's the arrangement. Okay. But, you know, I didn't recognize it then, but I, I recognized it later on, that at that point, and if you're in the same position, whether it's the husband or the wife, understand this at that point Kathy did exactly what Jesus did remember when he said to the father Lord if this cup can pass for me he didn't use her words but he said Lord if this cup can pass for me hey I'd really like that but you know what God not my will be done your will that's what she said I don't want to be here Lord I don't want to be with this man I don't even love this man but you know what God I want to do what you I thought she'd be the first to go. 
I even had this ready for her. <laughs> <laughs> she says, you know, that she, she died to her what you want. So I have to say at that point was the turning point that changed our marriage. Though it didn't happen overnight. It was the turning point of our marriage. It was, that was the moment it started on the, in the, upward, on the upward trend. It didn't happen overnight. It, didn't, uh, it did take a while, but you know what, you guys? It happened. It was the beginning of the healing process. And, and it was a long process. And part of that process was God had allowed us both to become very sick. Just about two weeks being back together, um, you know, Joe was, he was generally trying to be sweet, and this is a part of him I never really remembered seeing, and so it seemed really phony to me, and I had to respond to that, though, and I, and it, I just, I couldn't fake it. It was hard for me to fake it, and I just said, Lord, I, I can't do this. I just can't do it, so I was already starting to plan a way to get out again. I was already looking for a way to leave him, only this time I, I thought it's permanent this time, and, um, but then I started getting really sick, and you know, like the flu kind of feeling. And then a couple of days later, Joe starts feeling the same way. And then pretty soon, it just hit us both, and we were really sick. And so we went to the doctor. And when we went to the doctor, he looked into our eyes and he took some blood tests. We had yellow eyes at that time, and uh, he came back and he said that we had infectious hepatitis. Now, if you're not aware of what infectious hepatitis is. It's a, a very highly contagious disease. It's very debilitating. Uh, people can even die from it and have died from it. And uh, it, it makes you very, very weak. I couldn't even begin to tell you how weak you become. Well, at the doctor, she asks him, when are we going to get better? He says, oh, anywhere from six weeks to, uh, to six months. It all depends on your immune system. And then when she heard that, she just cried. Uh, then she said, well, can you give us some medicine so we can get better? He goes, well, he says, there is no medication. He says, it just has to, be, it has to work out of your system. And she even cried more. Um, she goes, well, when are we going to know when we're going to get better? He told her, he was, well, when you start to get your appetite back, you're starting to get better. I cried not only out of the pain that I was feeling in my body, but I cried, cried out of frustration because now my plans were foiled. You know, I wasn't going to be able to leave again. And God wasn't going to let me leave. I believe this was his way of keeping me from walking out the door. So in the meantime, he tells us, all right, you guys go home and you stay home. He says, you can't leave. You can't go mingle with people. And he says, and nobody comes into your house. You are highly contagious. He says, you have people bring groceries or whatever you need. You put it on, they put it on your doorstep and they leave. And after they're gone, you come out and get the stuff. And it was like the lepers in the Bible, man. You know, it's... <laughs> It was like that, that leper colony isolated on the edge of town where nobody went in. You just, you just stayed there and died. And you know, that was kind of where the doctor left us. So for the next several weeks, we just lied around. I mean, listless, no energy. We're, we're in our pajamas. And for days, uh, we'd go without showers, no shaving, or might, no brushing our teeth, no combing our hair. And you, we were a sight. I mean, it was incredible. And, we didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you did, it didn't matter. But during this time, we began to talk to each other. We began to laugh. We began to talk about this illness that we were experiencing together. I began to relate to her for the first time in years. She began to relate to me because, see, we had something in common. We began to laugh together, and it was mostly at how bad we both looked. But there were days when we'd, one would feel better than the other. On a, on a good day, we'd, we'd say, honey, do you need something? Can I get you something? And, and then maybe the next day it would be the other way around. And so we began to communicate. We began to care and, and, and want to serve each other. And so we were focused so much on that illness that we had forgotten all of the petty hang-ups that we had brought to that room. Those weren't important. They were as if they never existed. And so we realized for the first time we had something in common. We started out right. But you see, we lost that commonality. That first year and a half we were saved, Jesus was our commonality. But when we got lazy, or I should say I got lazy, and I decided to just, you know, whatever the reason was, I, that spiritual commonality was not there. We had this common denominator. We shared things together. We uh, had something that caused us now to look out for the other person and not ourselves. We came to realize that 
what we were missing and needed in our lives was that common denominator. Something that was the center of our lives, like this infectious disease was the center of our lives. But Jesus had to be that center, that focus. So that's what Jesus is, you guys, in your marriage. That commonality between two people that causes you to act and to think alike and become one. He causes you to care for one another, to be concerned for one another. He wants you to help one another. You see, God's love is other centers. It does what's best for others. And so we eventually did get better, and we were now talking and, and communicating on a much higher level. While we were sick and we were laid up there in the house by ourselves, locked together, I started seeing a tenderness in Joe that wasn't there before, and so I started feeling a little bit more hopeful about maybe it is possible, maybe we can love each other again. But at that time, I didn't really love, love him but I did love the Lord, and I can see the Lord was already moving in my heart. And so I asked the Lord that morning, I, one particular morning, I said, Lord, how can I love him again till death? You know, the vows that we took till death do us part. How can I do that, Lord? And he led me to Second Peter 1, 1 through 10, which, you know, read it all on your own sometime. But he showed me in this passage that it was going to be a, one step at a time, a step-by-step process. And the first was it's going to take faith. I needed to believe the Lord at his word. What God's word tells us is his promise to us. The second was going to take commitment. I needed to be wholly committed to Jesus. A bondservant, Peter said in that first part of the verse, he said that I'm a bondservant to, the, to Jesus Christ. And that is a willful, willful certain, servant, not forced to do anything, but willingly doing it. And the third thing was knowledge, that I was going to need to know the word of God so that I can remember the promises of the Lord. And the fourth was grace. Grace to get from the Lord and grace to give to Joe. And the fifth thing was diligence. And these are all the things you read in that passage that I couldn't give up, that I couldn't walk away anymore. And I couldn't throw my hands up every time he would do something or not do something that would cause me to just say, it's over, forget it. I had to diligently seek the Lord and diligently love my husband through the Lord. My love for Jesus and my obedience to his commands and the love that he promised to put in me was going to be the hope that I would have for my future with him. And he did exactly that. He kept his promise. He gave me a new love for Joe. It wasn't the love we started out with as boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, kind of a lustful love or a, you know, he's a cute kind of guy love or whatever. It was an agape love, a love for a lifetime. That's what keeps you going for a lifetime. As we realized we were on the road to recovery, we realized it. This is something we hadn't experienced for a long time. We decided to go away a few months later on our anniversary. Uh, prior to um, our, our separation, we thought we would, you know, we figured, you know, this is a bad relationship, and we will try to have children and bring children into the relationship. That's going to help us to make it right, you know. We'll, we'll, it'll bring us closer together, but you know what, for, for several years to be exact we couldn't have kids we thought well either i've got a problem or she's got a problem that's probably not going to come to pass either our marriage is shot uh, we're not going to have any kids and i thought well this is just grand well we went away on this little retreat i guess you could call it just going out and just starting all over again well again when we came back we had found out that kathy was pregnant with our first daughter from then on as again god continued to turn our world right side up he began at that point again our hearts were healing you know here i was a marriage that we wanted was on the right path here we wanting children that didn't happen now that we were right see that's the key her and i were, were on that track by no means perfect but we knew what we needed to do and god says now you know this is what you need to do now i'm going to bless you with children he wasn't going to bring children into that ugly relationship. There's enough kids out there that's gone through second and third relationships. He says, I'm not going to add another one to the statistics. So uh, God began to put us on the right path. And so um, he brought these children in and he began to turn our world upside right. He began to bring couples into our path all of a sudden who were experiencing the same things in the relationship that Kathy and I were going through, had gone through, asking us, what did you do? How did you make it work? How did you get your love back, Kathy, for Joe? Joe, how could you love her after she did that? And so that was the beginning of our marriage ministry. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. 
Paul said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to us actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's what God did with what happened with Kathy and I. It's no means of uh, 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 something we tell, again, the, the lurid details, but it's to tell you the grace of God, the power of God, if you're willing to give him your marriage. One of the wrong ideas that people have is that if you've lost that loving feeling, there's no hope, that it's over. That's wrong, the furthest from the truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Satan would love you to believe that because emotions are such a powerful motivator. And, and if you're honest, you'll see that when, in times of crisis, when your emotions were all over the place, you made some of the dumbest decisions. But you know, a lot of times it's too late to undo them. But you know, if you haven't made a decision like that this morning, hey, you don't have to do it. We're here to tell you you have a tremendous hope. It's not over. If I, I, I want to leave you with this this morning. Understand, people, that feelings had nothing to do with restoring our marriage. Feelings had nothing to do with it whatsoever. What it takes is a change of thinking and a change of behavior. The Bible, as you read and as we teach, you'll see that it never commands anybody to feel like loving. Jesus never said, well, I really wish you would feel like loving your husband or your children or your mate or whatever it is. He never said that. The Bible commands us, orders us to think and to act and to speak in a loving manner. Now, you can't command a feeling, can you? I can't make you or command you feel good about anything. But I can command you to do something and you do it out of willing obedience. That's what God says. I'm not asking you to feel like loving your partner. I'm telling you to. That means, because it's a command, it implies a choice. It means you can choose to do it or not to do it. Because Jesus will never command you to do something that you are not capable of doing within the power that Christ gives you. On your own, you're right. You can't. But Christ in you enables you to do that. You see, to love someone unlovable takes an act of the will. It's something I choose to do. It's a behavior. And you know what? You don't fall out of love. Well, I don't love my, I've fallen out of love with my partner. No, you haven't fallen out of love, people. What you've done, you've chosen to stop loving your partner. And you chose to stop loving them. Why? Because they're unlovable. Look how they treat me. Look what they're doing. Look what they're saying. Look what they're not doing. Hey, we don't stop, we don't stop loving because of a partner's behavior. Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully persecute you and use you. But notice in that verse, you go read it on your, you're not going to see anything in there that says, except if they're not nice. Jesus didn't say only if they're nice. Or if they're responsive to you, or if they're warm and friendly to you, you are to love others because Jesus commanded it in obedience to him, not based on how people treat you. C.S. Lewis said this, the love of God is distinct it's different from being in love. It's a deep unity maintained by the will. That is, it's kept by my choice to do it. It's deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by the grace which we ask and we receive from God. Kathy loved me without the feeling. Why? Because she chose to. And I loved her, the unlovable, because I chose to. Kathy's choice to love me was honored by God. He gave her back her love for me. I chose to love Kathy because that's what was best for her and she responded to that love. These aren't my words. She told me that later. And I won her respect as a result of that unconditional love. When King David fell into the sin of adultery, it started out with just a look, as you know. But it took him further than he ever intended to go. He went into murder, into lying, and all sorts of sin that led from that one look in one of his prayers in Psalm 51, 1 through 13, I'm just going to pick out parts of his prayer, but it was, I chose it to be my prayer also. David prayed and he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and have done this evil in your sight. When we sin, we, you, the other people in our lives may bear the consequences of our sin because they have to live with whatever it is you've done. But our sin is against God. And if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then you're sinning against your God. And that's what he did. But he's confessing his transgressions before him and asking him to wash him. He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
restore me the joy of your salvation. And that was my prayer, Lord, how can I feel my salvation again in you? How can I feel that I have truly been redeemed? And he did. He slowly washed me and gave me that new hope for future. And then he says, and I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Let me read that one more time. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And that's the sole reason why we are sharing this to you today and exposing ourselves. And, you know, I know a lot of you have heard some of the things I've shared with the women, little here, little there. But, you know, to come up and share of all our junk, and trust me, there was a lot more junk that we haven't shared, um, it's very humbling. But if even one couple turns to the Lord or turns from that temptation that, the, that you're already about to go into. You know, there's, there might be somebody in the office. There might be uh, some guy that comes to your house to drop off water or whatever. You know, who knows who this, how Satan moves people to you, to you who are backslidden. And um, turn and run. Run the other way. Because, trust me, you can leave a wake of destruction. Gonna be, these are going to be my closing comments. Don't confuse the issue. This isn't this about saying yes or no to your wife or your husband today or tomorrow or whatever you're thinking might be. This isn't about saying yes or no to your marriage. This isn't about saying yes or no to your spouse. This is about saying yes or no to your Lord God. You need to understand that you cannot separate Christianity from your marriage. It's a question of to obey God or to not obey him. Jesus said in Matthew 19, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Malachi, it says that God hates divorce. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 12. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. If she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. There it is. So you see, if you're choosing to leave your mate because you're unhappy, because he hasn't met your expectations or whatever your desires might be, guess what? Do not depart from your husband. And if you do, you are to be reconciled. That's God's word. So if you leave, guess what? It's not saying yes or no to your partner. You're saying, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm leaving anyway. So you see, it's, a, it's, a, it's not saying yes or no to your marriage. And then it says, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So to choose to do so without biblical grounds is going against the word of God. It's being disobedient to the will of God. So you see, the bottom line is, if you're having problems in your marriage, guess what? It's not a marital problem, people. It's a spiritual problem. And the problem is between you and God, not you and your partner. Because I guarantee you, when you die to yourself, and you quit looking at your wife or your husband for your cause of misery, I guarantee you, I should say God guarantees you, make it right with me. And I guarantee you, he says, I'll make it right in your marriage. I'll make it right in your relationship. That is the key this morning, people. Don't confuse the issue. Sin has a history. Your mental problems have a history. She didn't wake up this morning and say, I don't want to be with you anymore. It took Kathy six years. Your husband didn't wake up one morning and say, I don't want to be with you. It's been developing. There is a history in sin. You go back and you'll be able to pinpoint the day that the downfall began. Satan is very patient. Genesis 3 says he's the most subtle beast that God created. Don't be fooled this morning, people. I'd like the worship team to come up, and we're going to pray that you guys have been ministered to. We're going to ask the worship team to have a time of worship. And Kathy and I, our prayer has been for the last two weeks is that if there's anybody here, first of all, we want to talk to those couples who are, have never received the Lord. And you might have had a friend bring you here today because your marriage is in turmoil and you don't have the answers and you, hope that, and you, you may feel there's no hope. And, and 
if there's no hope, there's no need to, to stay together. Well, you know what? There is a hope, and we shared that hope with you. Jesus Christ is your hope. Now, if you was in a, you were in a life and death situation, situation and it required major surgery, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, you'd do it. I should say most people would do it. Your marriage needs radical surgery. But you what? No surgery in the world can help you. No psychology in the world can help you. No psychiatry in the world can help you. No self-helmets, no, no amount of self-help seminars can help you. No marriage retreat in the world can help you. There's only one person who can help you. And his name is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross that you might live. He went through grief and sorrow that you might experience joy. And marriage was designed to bring happiness. Genesis chapter 2. Marriage was designed to bring happiness. And if you're not experiencing happiness, you know what? Don't blame your partner. Don't blame God. Blame yourself. And you know what? Even if you're in this alone in your marriage, you can save that marriage by yourself. So, all of you who have perfect marriages right now, you pray for those who don't. But we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask right now, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're married, I'm going to challenge you to come up together as we worship to receive Christ. Come as a husband and wife. You know what? Husband, if your wife doesn't come, you come. Wives, if your husband doesn't want to come, you come. This is between you and God this morning. Let God give you hope this morning. So as you, we worship, I'm going to ask you to come up out of your seat, come down the aisle, stand over here on the side of where my wife is, and, and we're going to pray with you at the end of the service. So if you're in that, in that position right now, you guys come as we worship.